This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to the AI Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Jaden Schaefer. Today on the podcast, we have the pleasure of being joined by Igor Yablokov. And he is the founder and CEO of Prion, which is an AI company delivering an enterprise knowledge management platform, which recently raised $100 million. Prion's natural language processing tool ingests and transforms data into experiences that solve critical business challenges. Previously at IBM, Igor was, he essentially grew impatient with the gap between the invention and commercialization of AI, and he left to start his own cloud computing pioneer, Yap. Five years later, Amazon acquired the company. For its AI expertise and machine learning technology, which is now embedded in billions of Alexa-powered devices. Welcome to the show today, Igor. Thanks for having me. Super excited to have you on. For those that don't know, I first met Igor at the AI4 conference in Vegas earlier this year, and I've been trying to get him on the show ever since. He is a very busy man, got a, a tight schedule, and I'm super excited to, to finally get you on. Um, what I would love to kick this off with um, before we get into what you're doing at Prion, I, I'm really curious because um, this isn't typically something that every every entrepreneur does, but I'd love to know, you know, what was kind of the aha moment that made you take a step away from IBM and start your own AI venture and kind of get into the the space to begin with? Yeah, so so I would I would say most entrepreneurs probably have something gnawing at them, you know, uh, you know, spidey sense tingling and things of that sort that something's going to become a big deal. And, and no matter how many no's you get or how many investor review boards that you get rejections and how many business cases are, are unknown, right, or undefined and things of that sort, but you feel it in your bones that, hey, this is going to be a big deal. Everybody's going to be interacting with this stuff. Everybody's forgetting a lot of this early AI was centered around, you know, some humanist themes, you know, things like. Um, trying to solve for accessibility issues. So our chief scientist at the time uh, was, um, uh, you know, was a blind fellow, TV Raman, uh, who's now a, a you know senior scientist at, at Google. We were trying to prevent all of you crashing into trees and, and telephone poles, right? So texting while driving. We we're trying to repair that. Um, you know, we we're we we're um, you know trying to bridge cultural divides, right? If if you think. Um, you know, with early machine translation, how do we get people from, you know, you know, that are from different cultures, you know, different languages and things of that sort to understand one another, especially to prevent, uh, wars and dysfunctions that we're experiencing all over the, all over the world stage. I mean, those, you know, that's why I'm, I'm a little bit saddened whenever I hear terms like, you know, if software is eating the world, AI is its teeth. I mean, Jaden, you've heard me say, no, early AI was supposed to be the heart. Yeah, right, of of in the finest expression of technology, because it is the 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 most organic way of interacting with with machines. Right, where very few of us turned into mathematicians, computer scientists, computer engineers, data scientists, and the like. You know, natural language turns the tables around and allows democratization of computing resources so that everyone you know, can benefit from, uh, from their capabilities. That's what enthralled us. And so we did discover, you know, the baby version of Watson, 
you know, in those uh, labs. In fact, there's some reporters out there that are going to prove that a lot of the the modern AI that you know, whether it's at Apple, whether it's at Microsoft, whether it's at Google, whether it's in other places, actually originated from our lab at IBM Research. That is, that's that's incredible. So obviously, you were like discovering some really incredible things over at IBM. What made you leave that? What what you know? I, I've heard you say you were kind of frustrated with the the pace there but like what 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 did that look like and and why did you feel like you needed to you know get out of what could have been like a huge company with amazing resources to build stuff and and start out on your own where you're kind of starting from scratch yeah but but you know you know like they say all politics is local so you assume that that you know uh, you know a congressperson or senator is is making decisions on a national scale Right to benefit an international community, but but the reason for that expression is the fact that they're pretty much only doing what their voters and constituents want back at home, mm-hmm. because they're always terrified of being voted out of office. So mm-hmm. while you may think that IBM is making these global decisions to benefit themselves with respect to where they're investing in technology, right, similar to all politics is local, you have you know divisions and departments making smaller decisions you know, in order to safeguard their roles, you know, responsibilities, authorities, you know, the other products that they're tending to as well, right? Because they typically have a portfolio, right? It's, you know, economics is a study of of the allocation of scarce resources. So if there's something else that's closer in, that's not a decade plus away in terms of, you know, um, uh, economic productivity to the business, probably not going to be green lighting it and turning it into a product. So that's part of those things. Now I'll tell you, it didn't mean that we weren't doing early testing and hiding this in places. So here's a big surprise. When you guys talk to Amazon Echoes and you ask it to turn on uh, like a timer in your kitchen, like for how long your eggs uh, should boil or things of that sort, we hid in Miami Children's Hospital in the operating room these multimodal browsers, essentially AI assistants, that the surgeon could start and stop surgical timers as as uh, they were working on young little patients. So oh, that's that, incredible. So the things that you you think are so you know lowbrow and just like easy little functions, you know, also were tested like in two thousand two, two thousand three, two thousand four, two thousand five in in very serious environments. We had this stuff. Uh, in concert, I was working with uh, the then uh, chief information officer at Wake Forest University. You know, we had it on university campuses where you could you know, ask questions about where's the shuttle bus or, you know, is the laundromat open and things of that sort. Right. So I think this is now with the city of Amarillo, Texas. Now they're taking this style of technologies through a new form of digital human that we co-developed with uh, with Dell for civic services. But back then we were testing it for campus uh, services. And then the third example, right? All of you now have uh, these AI assistants, right? Through these hardware devices haunting your kitchens and bedrooms. We hid these technologies uh, in Epcot Center in the world of tomorrow for children to waddle past uh, just to see how people would react to speaking to these, uh, you know, style of uh, uh, things. Uh, It was installed on a PC behind a pane of glass and things of that sort. And that's what later, uh, you know, we were able to get to a price point that everybody could have versus a specialized exhibit. So these, the hints of this stuff 
were there. We were experimenting it. And in 2006, you know, like, uh, you know, Cartman uh, in South Park would say, screw you guys, I'm going home. And we picked <laughs> off our top scientists and engineers and, and got started on our last journey. That's amazing. So, um, I mean, ultimately, you ran Yap for five years. Amazon acquired it. You obviously had some very solid technology that they wanted to incorporate. You're then embedded into Amazon. So now you're into another major company. Where did you, um, with that deal, so I'm not super familiar with it, did you stay on at Amazon and work there uh, some sort of vesting period or something? Or was it just an acquisition of the company without you? Yeah, there was there was like a couple, you know, two or three years worth of a vesting period associated with it. But, you know, I, I kind of already had the strategic plan kind of laid out in terms of how this stuff, um, uh, you know, would essentially, um, you know, roll out, if you will. Uh, remember, the thing that people know as AI assistance was a skunks works program, you know, in, in our entity. It was still ahead of its time. You know, there was no hardware that could that could really support it. So I don't know if any of you, you know, have seen uh, HBO's uh, comedy Silicon Valley. Uh, yeah, but but they yeah, but they but they lampooned a conference called TechCrunch Disrupt. So I presented at the very first one in 2007, and I pulled out a Razer flip phone and I spoke into it. And crickets, nobody knew what the heck I was showing them. You know, Andreessen <laughs> was there, Marissa Mayer was there, Ki Kawasaki was there. Um, and what they didn't know at the time is that we were secretly working with Apple on a prototype of Siri before they acquired the SRI team. That's how early on they were thinking about these natural user interfaces, because of course that's, uh, you know, that's their shtick. You know, there's some of the biggest, you know, uh, implementers and, and researchers in, 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 in the realm of human factors, right. And user centered design. So of course they would be interested in these style of things. And that was years before they could build a device that could support uh, such a thing. Okay. So I have a question for you then. Um, you know, you, you've obviously been working in this technology for a long time and you've been working with big companies, IBM, Amazon, Apple on, on some of this technology. Why do you think it took till this year for, I mean, obviously AI has been incorporated into everything before and it's not like, oh, AI magically appeared this year, which a lot of consumers may feel like, but why do you think it took to this year for something like ChatGPT to roll out and gain mass adoption? Was it being slow rolled by companies that had the tech? Was there, was there not enough like hardware compute? Were there limitations there? Like what, what do you think made it happen now? Yeah, I, I don't think there's a now, right? I mean, this stuff takes a while. Just like, you know, look, when you guys go into a Trader Joe's and and you're surprised by by a new fruit, a new vegetable that you haven't seen before, it, it that's not the first time it existed, right? It took a, a, a you know, long while for the farmer okay. to feed it and grow it and transport it and, and put it and and for some buyer to say, we're, we're going to put this, you know, in, in our uh, produce department and then for you to encounter it as well. So as LL Cool J would say, you know, don't call it a chatbot. You know, we've been here for years. You know, I love it. You know, it's 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 been gestating for a long while. And you're right. In some cases, you've just expressed that there's different building blocks that all came together between cloud, between GPUs. Um, but also part of what you guys have seen in in uh, in the last year is the fact that some folks uh, have uh, breached an intellectual firewall and did some things that are taboo in order to mm -hmm. have, you know, these modern expressions of technologies that you think you're seeing in the last year with respect to these GPTs, the Bings and the Bards, 
because they're building themselves off of stolen content and hallucinations. Okay, yes. I, I love it. I wanna I wanna go a little bit deeper into that, but um really quick, I would love if you could tell and give everyone kind of an overview of what you're working on today, because ultimately you leave you left Amazon. You you're working on something new today. Tell us, um, or you know, for the last number of years, tell us what you're working on now and why you felt you needed to do this. I, I heard you uh say that you felt like people pulled you out of retirement, which you didn't want to do to to force you to to start this company. So, so tell us about what you're working on. Yeah, I was working on other things, but 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 look, in 2017, I'm looking around and I'm like, where, where the heck's the serious AI? Where's where's the AI at work? Where is it in hospitals? Where is it in power plants? Right? Where is it in, you know, to to support civic civic engagement and the like? I didn't really see anything serious. You know, I mean, we help trigger the evolution of these technologies into our homes, right? Uh, onto our televisions, onto our mobile phones, you know, into our cars, you know, as, as you know, to start permeating and and uh, aiding our personal lives. But I didn't really see it in in more serious use cases as well, which was a little bit maddening. Right. I mean, because you have these great brands, right, like SAP and Salesforce and Oracle and IBM and and uh, Microsoft and their ilk. Uh, and I'm like, where's the expression of these style of technologies to benefit all of us, you know, during during our waking hours? Um, and I didn't see it. Um, and then I started understanding why doesn't such a thing exist? Well, when when all of you you know buy one of these home pods or Amazon Echoes or Google Homes in a Best Buy and you bring it home and you plug it in. Right. It immediately lights up. It blinks. It says hello. Um, and, and you can start talking to it within roughly a couple dozen different domains that are backed by language models. In reality, they're hierarchical language models and things of that sort. News, weather, sports, music and things of that sort. In order for this to work in, in more more serious pursuits, it would have to be an AI that has no idea what these enterprises are going to put into it. And it, but it has to achieve market-leading accuracy, scale, security, and speed. Um, it has to be a blind trust. It has to be reliable, available, serviceable. And as a result of that, it, it uh, becomes a little bit of a paradox uh, to solve such a construct. And so I recruited um, you know, some of the legacy you know, AI folks that worked on a lot of these very deep uh, problems in the past from great organizations, from the folks that worked at Watson, IBM Watson, Apple Siri, you know, Amazon Alexa and the like, and we started our journey. That's amazing. So um, I've heard really impressive things uh, about your platform. Uh, and I recently heard that uh, you saved an electrical provider like $5 million. Um, tell me a little bit about like some of the success stories of companies actually using your platform. Yeah, Jaden, I know, uh, uh, you know, accountants are going to be really excited to sharpen their pencils when they hear numbers about that, but that's not the real uh, big deal uh, uh, associated with that benefit. So the energy uh, company in question uh, for years has been trying to develop an AI for their outage and maintenance uh, services, and they poured millions of dollars um, because they predicted they can reduce the downtime of nuclear power plants by half if they had uh, such a thing. And, and let's connect those dots. The reason why that's a big deal is, is, um, is the utilities then don't have to spin up fossil fuel burning plants in order to meet the shortfall of base load that exists, especially in deep summer and deep winter months when, when you have the highest uh, rate of utilization. 
So obviously connect the dots to climate change, and that's a pretty big deal. More importantly, if any of you have ever seen any documentaries on, on Three Mile Island, where we were within 30 minutes of raiding the eastern seaboard, when Congress did an investigation, they actually found that uh, there were six causes uh, to that near uh, disaster. One was the design flaw. One was the faulty valve. Four out of six were knowledge management issues with technicians and engineers getting the right information. So put two and two together, and that $5 million number is the least of the benefit uh, to having these technologies. It really is, is going to be uh, creating uh, more resiliency in the power grid, cleaner sources of, of, of power, um, and then also uh, potentially reducing risk for operating uh, these style of, of uh, power gen uh, modes. Yeah, I think that's phenomenal. The, the benefits are immense. And like you mentioned, it's not just about the uh, the dollar figure that someone may bring up. Um, there's there's so many more benefits, obviously. What, what's the benefit of not having nuclear radiation cover the globe? There, there's a, a lot of things. So you recently raised $100 million for Prion. Um, I would love to hear a little bit about your vision for what, you know, you know, what you're planning on doing with your raise and really the vision of where Prion goes in the future. Yeah, so look, Everybody should feel goosebumps now, right? Not only within our lifetime, but inside of this decade. It's not about chatbots. It's not about AI assistance. Everybody's barking up a wrong tree when they hear about these things. But the reason why you should feel goosebumps is for thousands of years, people have imagined what life would be like on the world stage if we had a Tower of Babel. That's what's, you know, within, within our grasp, right? So imagine that it's going to be a mandatory acquisition of these style of cognitive platforms into the enterprise software stack, because for the first time ever, it's it's within the realm of possibility to insert a layer that is agnostic to human languages. It doesn't matter what things are uh, authored in, right, um, or captured in, or recorded in. It won't matter the systems of record that these things, you know, you know, sit inside of whether it's the SAPs, you know, ERP systems, whether it's in CRM systems, whether it's things in, in things like DocuSign or Oracle Financials or SharePoints. And it's not going to matter what the underlying object type is, whether it's audio, video, images, or text of some sort. For the first time ever, we're going to be able to fuse all of these things into a knowledge fabric where you can drop a prompt on top and it'll answer questions, it'll perform workflows. And it will essentially, you know, automate cer certain functions uh, for these uh, organizations that will create new opportunities and, and uh, risk reduction as well. That's the big deal. But but this has been a long time in coming. All of you shouldn't think that, oh, look, I can just download this open source stuff and I can deliver it because the platform that's able to do that in terms of connecting to all of these um, systems in terms of multimodal ingest, you know, the synthesis of this into a unified model. And then the connection, connectivity of this to all the channels where uh, end users can be, whether they're employees, you know, customers or partners of those organizations, is is a highly complex uh, beast. And we've been working on this for 20, 30, 40 years. This is not something that you can just download, you know, a couple pieces of kit from uh, Hugging Face and and think that you can deliver into market. So something that a lot of people are concerned about right now is. 
uh, like, you know, the the extinction, like some people talk about like, um, you know, AI causing human extinction, all these kinds of things. Obviously, I think a lot of that's uh, far overblown. But I think in that in that kind of line of thinking, are, th are there any AI companies today that are concerning you and any things you're seeing in the industry right now that are like kind of causing red flags or concern? I mean, I, I could turn it around. I think I think there's one uh, company that's obviously causing a red flag and concern for, for everybody, and that's OpenAI. You know, frankly, many people are calling it a criminal organization. I mean, to go from nonprofit to for-profit, um, you know, to have, you know, pirated content as part of uh, their models. Um, the fact that they allow these hallucinations that are emitting, you know, you know, on uh, non-factual information, right? And then not, you know, tagging it as such or having no idea that it uh, that it's non-factual. The fact that they're telling people that you can use it for mental health support. The fact that it's literally in their mission statement that they want to do an AGI and put many people out of work, right? And they don't understand the disruptions that that they uh, may cause. Yeah, I mean, that's that's one that, you know, people are going to be looking at rather closely, uh, especially as you had the executive order here recently that's Im imparting some knowledge of, of um, you know, how you regulate this environment. But guess what? AI has been here for a while. That's why in 2014, you know, the Atlantic, you know, did an expose on, on Facebook's use of these style of technologies to put good news and bad news you know, in, in uh, social media feeds, you know, A-B testing this against teens that may have caused some suicides, right? So, I mean, unencumbered and without penalties, it's not just putting words in there and saying, hey, you know, here's some general guardrails that you need to be, you know, developing the AI with, but to have some honest, you know, to goodness penalties, this is why a properly constructed board of directors are fiduciaries and they watch over an organization and they review financials and, and governance uh, systems and checks and balances because there are very real criminal penalties of those boards, you know, you know, do things wrong. And we've seen that, you know, in the last you know, few days with uh, uh, SBF and uh, FTX. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people are looking at that case. Um, I, I, you know, you've seen, I've, we've obviously seen like Forbes has done a, a number of, um, issues on big people. SBF was one of them. And uh, a number of people that were kind of lauded at the beginning as the these incredible tech whizzes who ended up just being a big fraud. There's that one. And then, of course, there's Elizabeth Holmes and, and others. Um, something that, you know, I would love to get your opinion on when you when we see Sam or when we see Sam Altman going to Congress and talking about how we need more AI regulation and whatnot. In light of what you mentioned, do you think he his true goal is AI regulation for safer AI, or is it more of a regulatory moat that he's trying to build? Yeah, so uh, your your intuition is spot on. Um, you know, when I've met you know banking CEOs in the past, they relished regulation, mm -hmm. right? Think think about the CEO of Silicon Valley Bank, right? The former CEO of Silicon Valley Bank. So they they love regulation to create moats from new in in um, uh, intruders into uh, their respective categories. But not so much uh, that um, uh, that it's going to constrict their their freedom of action and certainly uh, slow down their gravy trains. Mm -hmm. And so their lobbyists are going to be tearing that EO a new one, right? To essentially kind of smooth it out so that it blocks you know new uh, upstarts and mid market companies from going in and and uh, and and uh, bulking up 
in terms of becoming a biomass threat, um, mm -hmm. you know, to their gravy trains, but not at the same time as constricting themselves. I mean, this is why, you know, Meta always kind of, you know, was Teflon coded and trying to find ways to, to maximize the, the human population at a world stage that, that they can, you know, throw onto their platform so that they can do advertisements against and never really came out, you know, for against certain social issues and, or, you know, pretended, well, it's not our job to, you know, you know, deal with disinformation about vaccines or deal with, you know, election fraud and things of that sort. They just played the Pontius Pilate, uh, you know, rolled, uh, at, at, um, you know, an international stage. Yeah. So. I think uh, I think that's very interesting on the topic of meta. So I'll be honest from my perspective. I'd love to hear yours from my perspective. I've actually been really impressed by a lot of what meta has been doing in kind of this AI space. I typically wasn't a very big meta fan, um, but, you know, Yan Lekun over there uh, has been doing some very interesting things with open source. A lot of people have been saying, look, open source is dangerous. What they're doing is dangerous because you're allowing this model up to the public where they can figure out how to do anything and create, you know, bioweapons and other things. What's your opinion on the open source angle? Is it as dangerous as people say? Well, I don't, I don't know of a single, um, you know, trillion dollar company that open sources their critical IP, right? So this can't be their critical IP. If it's, if it's open source, it just, you know, stands to reason. And you're right. I mean, there it's, it's, it's also paradox, right? By open sourcing things that, you know, it's, it's more transparent. But it also democratizes access to nefarious actors, right? Even if only, you know, the 1% of 1% of 1% are going to be doing bad things with it to launch disinformation campaigns and attack elections and, and you know, looking for bioweapons and things of that sort, that's still a lot of people that are going to be looking at doing damaging things with, with these things on, on uh, the world uh, stage as well. Um, also, you know, I, I don't know how open source it is or... or uh, you can't commercially really build anything viable on that because right. if you read the ter terms and conditions, it it prohibits use of this in critical infrastructure. And so those power plants that we talked about earlier in the show can't use it for that. Right. right? So it's sort of like uh, Lucy, you know, holding the football in front of uh, Charlie Brown. And so uh, and then she pulls it at the last moment and says, oh, you can't do anything that's commercially viable against that, because guess what? They're going to safeguard that for themselves. So that is an example similar to to your previous question on regulation where, you know, they want to have their cake and eat it too. They're like, hey, here it is. You know, we, we all look like good guys relative to, you know, what OpenAI is doing, not showing you the internals of their stuff. But then on the flip side, you know, don't do anything interesting with it. You know, we're going to hold that for ourselves. Yeah, I love that. I think I think we're seeing this from a lot of the big players in the space, this kind of bait and switch. I mean, of course, OpenAI is like, the most blatantly kind of like gross bait and switch up or an open source company, nowhere closed source, raised $10 billion company. Um, and then Facebook, which is like, or Meta, whatever, we're an open source company, but you can't do anything commercial with it. And we're not really an open source company. Um, something that we haven't, a company we have not mentioned in the mix here that you brought up earlier on is Apple, right? A lot of people are saying Apple is late to the AI game. Um, of course, we know they've been integrating little features into the, the iPhone and, and their technology in the AI space, but they kind of haven't had this big AI banner to the point where recently on a earnings call a couple of days ago, Tim Cook, you know, uh, a lot of people 
have this meme where it's like, say the line. So he said the line and he said, we're investing heavily into generative AI when people are kind of pushing back on them, not doing AI. I'd love to get your take on this. Is Apple behind on this or is Apple slower and more methodical? Or is that the angle that they're saying so it doesn't look like they're behind? No, they're, it's, it's, it's the latter. I mean, they're great people there. They care about, you know, folks' privacy. They, they care, they care a lot. Um, and, um, it's just good people. They're, they're not going to be throwing out a sloppy incarnation of this style of technology. Um, and, and, uh, look at it, you know, every year when you buy their devices, um, it's the finest representation in balance of these style of technologies together. At times, the Android uh, platforms tend to be, you know, N plus one in terms of pushing the realm of certain technologies, but then the battery life is affected as well. Mm-hmm. So you, you got to find, you got to look at Apple as, as, as an entity that finds aesthetic equilibrium in whatever technologies, you know, it adopts, you know, into its product services, software, hardware, and things of that sort. Uh, on our board is is uh, is a former uh, Apple executive, and that's not an accident. It's because we actually uh, do share that worldview in terms of a responsible AI, not just being lip service, but being our birthright as well. Um, and there's plenty of other examples, you know, that we can give in terms of what we've done in the past and what we've done in this system as well, where while everybody else was crawling all over the web you know, grabbing content, you know, like it's uh, supermarket sweeps, you know, putting as many hams in, into, uh, into the shopping cart as possible in order to, uh, you know, um, increase the, the, the price tag at the checkout counter. Um, we weren't doing that. We weren't doing that. In Prion, Prion ingests the four Ps that you trust, public information that you trust, proprietary information that's unique to your organization published content that you've properly licensed from from creators and then uh and then personal content unique to you so that's why that's how we contrast uh from from other folks uh ai platforms what's similar to other ai platforms is we've always believed in natural language you know being the ultimate api it democratizes access you and i could talk to each other before we learn how to read and write Humans critical are a critical part of knowledge workflows because we consume, curate, and contribute knowledge. Um, and so I, I do believe in their worldview. We share uh, their worldview. We're careful. Um, it took years, you know, to put even Prime into production as well. But that's why we're drifting towards um, what the core IP of what makes a pharma company a pharma company or what makes an energy company an energy company or to support hospitals and civic institutions and things of that sort. That's why, you know, Dell could adopt something like this. That's why NVIDIA is one of our clients. Uh, this is why World Economic Forum uses us for strategic in- intelligence. So there's a lot of surprises out there in terms of the major brands that are associated with us. And that's because we're as careful as they are. Yeah, I think that's super critical. And I think, honestly, a lot of the companies that will be successful in this this big wave of kind of AI interest we're seeing are ones that put that as one of their core focuses. So that's, you know, uh, that's great. I think from my perspective to see that's a focus for you. Something that recently happened, Elon Musk was talking to the UK prime minister, uh, you know, the big AI summit. And he said, I'll I'll give a a little quote and I want to get your, I want to get your thoughts on it. He said, there'll come a point when no job is needed. You can have a job if you want to have a job for personal satisfaction, but the AI will be able to do everything. 
he then ex- pretty much says AI is kind of like a genie in a bottle. And he said, one of the challenges in the future will be how do we find meaning in life if we have a magic genie that can do everything you want? What, what's your what's your thoughts on this? Is this realistic? Is this viable? Look, I don't envy all of your uh, your audience and uh, and your listeners. Um because you have to go through a lot of content, right? Whether it's written content, podcasts like this, and and things of that sort, and and separate uh, the carnival barkers from the true practitioners. <laughs> all right, so they're talking about all of this other stuff, and 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 here's the deal, guys and gals. Where is this in our hospitals? Where is it in our power plants? Well, they're all talking about AGI is going to do this, and all these people are going out of work, and it's kill a kill kill us all, and all of this other nonsense. The true you know, you know, salt of the earth fact is we don't have this in serious places that need to benefit our communities. We don't have that. So while they're playing this weird game of, of, uh, you know, spy versus spy and, and, uh, almost like some sort of childish high school version of debate team, you know, I want to put this in real places. Right. And look, the pandemic showed us who the true superheroes are of our communities. Right. Guess what? We still needed food to be grown. We still needed it to be delivered, right? We still needed water, right? We still needed hospitals and and all of this other stuff, right? We need our military to you know to defend us. There's all these things that are out there, right? We need uh, you know folks to put out fires and folks you know uh, you know with with uh, ambulances and solving crimes and all of these things that we consider these essential workers. We needed the lights to work, and so. During the pandemic, I think there was higher appreciation for for the folks that that generally preserve our way of life, and they have not a single line of code that's in use in order to reduce the friction, knowledge friction that they have. People need to know something in order to do something, you know. So how do you reduce the distance between knowledge and those individuals as well? That's what I tend to focus on, and that's what I'm passionate about. That's why I can go to folks you know, from Google and Amazon and all of these great brands and say this, post-pandemic, as we see the four horsemen of the apocalypse, you know, in front of us, between wars, between pestilence, literally, unfortunately, right? Economic distress and climate change. Are you done serving ads in front of people's faces? Are you done putting videos in front of teenagers' eyes? Let's go ahead and work on something a little bit more serious to benefit them. And guess what? By benefiting them, it benefits us right? Our educators, right? And, and all of these other things. That's the vision that I set out. The rest of these, these folks out there trying to carve out regulations so they have freedom of action and, and blockade others and terrify people with, with how, look at all these negative things that can happen. Look, I want to make tools that I can put in somebody's hand like a Jimmy Carter to build Habitat for Humanity. And yet all they talk about is how these hammers are going to go in Ted Bundy's uh, uh, hands and they're going to be bonking people over the head, completely divorcing themselves from the fact that it can help people. I don't need to make a super, super app X to figure out how to send people money. Venmo already exists. These people constantly want to re-engineer and regurgitate things that we already have that work well. You don't need another Google. You have Google. Knock it off. You know, but we don't have these things in more in more serious pursuits. That's the birthright of Prime. That's what we're working on. That's what we're working towards. And hopefully, you know, some of you that can hear me, you know, will join me in this journey, either in this organization or in your own respective organizations as well. 
we have enough filters to change our faces into pandas. We don't need any more. I think I think you bring up such a critical point. Um, I recently saw a, a quote somewhere, and and roughly it was saying like we probably would have had the next, you know, Ford or the next, you know, super innovative company if all of the engineering talent over the last ten years hadn't been put into like just little SaaS products that weren't super important, face filters for your phone. Um, a lot of people criticize the entire crypto industry as being a colossal waste of time, energy, and talent. What do you think, you know, for, for, let's say, developers or people working in technology today, what is a piece of advice you, you feel like you could give them on what to focus on that truly matters and, and how they can find that, right? I mean, a lot of people are just looking for a job. This is what Meta told me I have to work on. I'm going to make the face panda filter. What's your, what's your advice to those people? Look, uh, you know, I, I say some of these comments as tongue in cheek as well. Look, you know, uh, you know, calling a lot of these efforts completely ludicrous and, and useless is, is disingenuous in some ways. In the same way that all of us as children, you know, played with dolls, played with Legos, played with, you know, little vehicles, little cars and things of that sort, uh, you know, crayons and things of that sort. That was healthy. My parents were both artists. Right. So that creativity in terms of trying to throw spaghetti on the wall and seeing what sticks and and playing with these technologies and, and, and how they intersect with user experiences, that was that was healthy. Um, I just am and now, um, you know, expressing to all of you to channel your your talents and your education. Right. And your experiences towards positive works. That's all in however you define, not how I define what is a positive work, but in the way that you define what a, a positive work is and what your contributions could be to benefiting um, the preservation of life in all of its forms, not just for humans, for animals and plants as well. So whatever you can do, right? Call it your 20% time, call it your 100% time, whatever it is that you're personally passionate about, you know, start thinking about, hey, you know, I know that there's an economic incentive with building these style of technologies, put that aside, similar to, you know, to how Jaden, you know, asked that question about the $5 million business case impact for that energy company and, and look at the second order effects. Hey, how does this improve climate change? How does this democratize access to underserved, you know, communities? Hey, how does this prevent wars and strife? How does this inform uh, people? How does it make a smarter electorate? How does, you know, this, this uh, open up the aperture to economic mobility start asking your uh, those style of questions and and guess what we're talking more about those things than than about what version of of llm you're using and hey should you fine-tune this or you know how do you guardrail that who cares the technology that we could be talking about on the on this podcast is as perishable as those fruits and vegetables that you buy from trader joe's you got to eat it inside of 24 hours otherwise it's useless Igor, thank you so much for your advice, your insights. It's been absolutely phenomenal having you on the show today. For the listener, if you're interested in finding out more about what Igor is working on, I'll leave a link uh, in the show notes to Pryon if you're interested at working there or if you're a company interested in um, using his technology, you can find out everything you need there. Thank you so much for tuning in to the AI Chat podcast today. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day and make sure to rate us wherever you get your podcasts.